would open up your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. We're going to be looking at a couple verses here as the basis for our lesson this morning. The passage that was just read for us in the scripture reading talked about the need to store up treasures in heaven rather than treasures on earth. And yet, what happens a lot of times with the world around us, and sometimes we are tempted to do this as Christians, is that we get that reversed, and we are striving to do all that we can to store up treasures on earth, and we neglect storing up treasures in heaven. This morning we're talking about this passage in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 that talks about ambition and what our ambition is to be as Christians. Many people see ambition as a desirable trait. It's the attitude that drives us to progress, to advance, and to improve in various areas of our life. And generally, if anyone is going to have some degree of success or prosperity in this life, they need to have some degree of ambition. And so some of this is good, provided we as Christians have it directed properly. Our ambition, as Paul talks about here in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, is going to be a little bit different. Our focus is going to be a little bit different from the world. We see this in these verses. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, we're going to read verses 11 and 12. He said, Make it your ambition to lead a quiet life and attend to your own business and work with your hands just as we commanded you, so that you will behave properly toward outsiders and not be in any need. Paul said, as Christians, this is to be your ambition. And again, this looks a lot different than what we typically think of or what the world thinks of as, well, if someone has ambition, this is what they're going to do and this is how they're going to live their life and the direction they're going to go. Paul said, this is what your ambition is to be. We're going to talk about what he says here. And as we do that, we can reflect on our own lives and see, am I living in the way that Paul says here as he gives these instructions? How I am, am I living in a way that harmonizes with that? Or have I gotten off track a little bit and maybe have too much of the ambition of the world and not what is described here? So what is it that Paul says here? You make it your ambition. The number one thing he says, first thing he says, is to lead a quiet life. When you think of worldly ambition, rarely do you think you associate it with leading a quiet life because you have to be open, you have to, you have to put yourself out there, you have to you have to drum up support or to or sales or get in a position that other people will look up to you. You have to have people notice you. You have to be in front of people. You have to do all of this. Paul says your ambition as Christians is to lead a quiet life. That word that is translated quiet in that verse is described it or is defined in Thayer's lexicon as those who are not running hither or thither but stay at home and mind their business. That's what Paul is describing here. And we're going to get to that in the next point also to attend to your own business. That's in there as well. But this idea of leading a quiet life. How do we lead this quiet life? How do we make sure that we are doing what Paul 
said to do here? Well, the first thing we need to make sure that we are doing is not allowing ourselves to become distracted by the things of this world. Over in Luke chapter 8, when Jesus told the parable of the sower, he described the sower who would go out and scatter the seed on various different kinds of soil. The seed, as he explained, represented the Word of God. So the Word of God is going and it's being planted in different types of people's hearts. That's what the soils represented, is the hearts that people had. And one of those soils in particular is described as the thorny ground. In Luke chapter 8, and verse 14, it said, The seed which fell among the thorns, these are the ones who have heard, and as they go their way, they are choked with the worries and riches and pleasures of this life, and they bring no fruit to maturity. They were busy going here and there, hither and thither, going to different places, focusing on everything of this life and ignoring the things that God has laid out for them, that God has promised them. In contrast, you have the seed that fell among the good soil in verse 15. But the seed in the good soil, these are the ones who have heard the word in an honest and good heart and hold it fast and bear fruit with perseverance. How do we lead a quiet life? We make sure we focus on the Word of God and not what this world is throwing out there before us. Because there are a lot of things, the worries and the riches and the pleasures of this life, the things that we could enjoy, the things that we could accumulate for ourselves, or the things that we worry about that maybe it will happen, maybe it won't happen, but we are worried about all of these things that might, that might come about in our lives that would affect us. All of those things, Jesus said, can choke out the word. Make it your ambition to lead a quiet life, but also that means remembering who you are before God and your place before God. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 3 and 4, Paul told Timothy to suffer hardship with me as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier in active service entangles himself in the affairs of everyday life. So this is the idea of well, the worries and riches and pleasures of this life choke out the word. It says you are a soldier of Christ. It says if you are a soldier, you don't entangle yourselves in the affairs of everyday life so that he may please the one who enlisted him as a soldier. You remember who it is that is in charge, who your commanding officer is, that who you are serving, that is the Lord. You are trying to please him. It says, make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. You don't have to be distracted or, or go all of these different places and uh, try to figure out what, you know, what is the thing I need to do. We just focus on what the Lord wants us to do. That is what, import, what is important. Lead a quiet life and attend to your own business. That definition for the word quiet, as we mentioned, includes minding one's own business. And that's this idea here of what he says in verse 11, to attend to your own business, to do what we are responsible to do without regard to what others are doing. Now, this does not mean that we ignore the needs of others. There are others who need our help. They might need material help, physical help, others who need our help spiritually. This is not about ignoring the needs of others. This is really about making sure that you don't ignore your own faults and your own the ways that you need to improve because it's very easy for us to rather than examine ourselves and see what what do I need to do to improve what do I need to do because again 
We're lead, trying to lead a quiet life. We want to be what God wants us to be. We want to please Him because of who we are in His service. It's very easy to, rather than spend time doing that, try to look at others and point out what that other person's doing, where they're not, they're not living what the way that they should be. They're not living up to what they ought to be doing. And all the while ignoring our place and our responsibility before God. In Matthew chapter 7, there's a verse here, or really part of a verse, that a lot of people, if they know very few verses in the Bible, they know Matthew 7 and verse 1. They may not be able to tell you where it is in the Bible, but they know what it says. Where Jesus says in the very first part of that verse, do not judge. And a lot of people know that part of the verse. That's all they know of the verse. That's all they know of the passage. But they know that part of the verse say, well, that means that you're not, to, you're not to judge anyone. That you're not to be critical of anyone. You're not to correct anyone or anything like that. That's not what Jesus taught here. But notice what he does say. If you look at the entire context, this idea of attending to our own business. Because we do have a tendency. We want to look at others and say, well, that person needs to correct this. That person needs to do this. There's a place for that. But we need to remember what Jesus says here. Matthew 7, verse 1, Do not judge so that you will not be judged. For in the way you judge, you will be judged. And by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, Let me take the speck out of your eye, and behold, the log is in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Again, Jesus doesn't say, well, ignore other people and, well, if they need to be corrected, then that just, you don't worry about that. No. He says, there's a time to take the speck out of your brother's eye. There's a time to correct them for that. But you can't do that if you are ignoring the problems and the things that you need to correct in your life. You ignore the log that's in your own eye, the large thing that is that is hindering you, that is that is wrong with you. And you are focusing only on that little tiny thing that they need to correct, that they need to deal with. Jesus says, you correct yourself first. You correct the problem in your life first. Then you will be able to see clearly to help the other person. So he says, you are to help the other person. You are to, to correct them. But you need to make sure that you are attending to your own business first. We cannot help others if we are ignoring our own faults and just pretending like they don't exist. But we want to not do that. We want to instead put our noses in other people's business and ignore the problems with what we are doing. Paul said over in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3 that we are not to be busybodies. We are not to ignore what we should do and instead just focus on what we think everyone else should do. 2 Thessalonians 3 and verse 11 says, For we hear that some among you are leading an undisciplined life and doing no work at all, but acting like busybodies. Very easy to ignore what we're responsible to do. Instead, well, we want to see what other people ought to be doing. And we want to, uh, we want to be in their business rather than attending to our own business. There is a place and there is a time for us to help people and be concerned about people, but that is not the same thing as meddling in their affairs, which is what Paul is telling us to avoid here in these verses. Attend to your own business. And then he says to work with your hands. 
which also, is, if you still have your Bibles open to 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, this is the context of what he's talking about here. That he says, we hear that there are some who are doing no work at all. He said in verse 10 of that verse that we gave you this instruction, if anyone is not willing to work, then he is not to eat either. That we have to have a willingness. Now, obviously there are some who are not able to work. And he's not talking about those who are unable to work. He's saying those who are unwilling to work. For those who are unable to work, they could be helped by those who are willing and who are working and are then able to provide help for them. It says if you are able to work, you need to be working. God expects his people to be hardworking, to be diligent. Over in Colossians chapter 3 and verse 23, he's talking about instructions to slaves. Obviously, we don't have the master-slave economy like they did then or even existed in, earlier in this country. But we have in same principle applies with employers and employees. It's not exactly the same in every way, but the principle as far as the work that we do would apply. And as, as Paul was writing to Christians there, because there were some Christians in the first century who were slaves, who found themselves in that situation. Well, how were they to conduct themselves in that situation? Colossians 3 and verse 23, he says, Whatever you do, do your work heartily as for the Lord rather than for men. And we could say the same thing, the same principle for what we do in as we work for our employer, for what the manager is, is told us to do, or if we even if we run our own business or we have where we do work for different clients and things like that, the work that we are doing for others says do it as for the Lord rather than for men. Remember who we are as Christians and do the work that we are to do. God expects us to do the best work that we can to be hardworking. We are to put spiritual things first. Again, going back to this idea of make your ambition to lead a quiet life, we're not distracted by the things of this world, but we do have to take care of those things. We seek first the kingdom of God, as Matthew 6.33 says, but we can't ignore our earthly responsibilities either. Paul would tell Timothy in 1 Timothy 5 and verse 8 that if anyone does not provide for his own, and especially for those of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. We can't just say, well, I'm going to set my mind on spiritual things and I'm going to sit around and not do anything and, and not work, and not, but I'll, I'll pray a lot and I'll read the Bible a lot. I'll do all that, but I'm not going to work. No, Paul says if you don't, if you're able to work and you don't go out and work and provide for, for your family, you are worse than an unbeliever. What if I'm reading my Bible? What if I'm praying? You are worse than an unbeliever if you are not providing for your own. That is your responsibility to do. Now, there are times where someone is not able to do that. Again, that's that's a different case. Or someone may come under hard times and through no fault of their own, through calamity, through sickness, through things like that, where they are in need of assistance, that's another matter. This is talking about you are able to go out there and work and provide for your family. You are to do you are responsible to do that. You have to take care of those responsibilities, even as you put spiritual things first. You do not neglect these other things. So Paul says, make it your ambition that you are going to work with your hands. You're going to do the work that you can do, 
as you tr try to provide for yourself and for your family. The next thing he says there, work with your hands, he says, just as we commanded you. This is part of what our ambition is, to follow what has been commanded. And as you look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, when Paul says here, just as we commanded you, and this is, we started talking about this in our Bible class this morning in Acts chapter 15, but we didn't get all the way to this. We will talk about this next week more, but this is a little bit of a preview then for what we'll talk about in our Bible class next week. But when we think about in Acts 15 with what Peter was going to say and, and what he was going to to explain to the brethren who are there, or Paul as he's writing to the brethren of Thessalonica, what he is explaining to them. When he says, just as we commanded you, he was not just making up whatever he thought was right and was going to teach them and expect them to obey. Or when Peter in Acts chapter 15 is saying, well, this is what, this is what I'm saying, and then this is my opinion, you just follow it. That's not what was going on here. Earlier here in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, in verse 2, says, For you know what commandments we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. He would write to the brethren in Corinth, 1 Corinthians 14 and verse 37, says, The things that I write to you are the Lord's commandment. The apostles spoke for Christ. They were his official spokesmen, his ambassadors. So we are to follow those instructions. And in following what Paul says here, we are obeying what the Lord has instructed us. This is part of our ambition, to be obedient to him. He has too many people, and we can get caught up in this too, that we say that we believe Jesus. We say that we'll call him that he is our Lord. But Jesus said in Luke 6, verse 46, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? It's one thing to believe in Jesus. It's another thing to actually live as if he is Lord, that he is the one with authority. He is the one who is to be obeyed and has the right to expect us to obey him. We are to follow his commandment, be doers of the word, as James 1.22 tells us to do. Be doers of the word, be obedient to him, not just say that, well, you know, I, I believe who Jesus is. And I believe he died on the cross for me. I believe he, he rose from the dead. I believe all that. And then I'll try to you know, lead a quiet life. I'll try to you know, mind my own business. I'll work with my hands. I'll, I'll be a good person. Remember what's been commanded. And this is about more than just these things here. Remember what has been commanded. Be doers of the word because Jesus is the one who has all authority. So in everything that we do, whether it's the things that Paul is talking about here or any other area of, of life or our service to God, our worship with the church, we do things that are in accordance with his will. We do his commandments. And then he says in verse 12 of 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, that you behave properly toward outsiders. We are trying to lead a quiet life. We're trying to mind our own business. But we also recognize we are living in the world, that we interact with people all around us, that we're not cut off from the world. And so we have to recognize that we're going to live in a certain way and conduct ourselves in a certain way before others that 
They see something about us. They see that there is something different about us. Peter wrote about this in 1 Peter chapter 2, in verse 12, where he said, Keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles, so that in the thing in which they slander you as evildoers, they may, because of your good deeds, as they observe them, glorify God in the day of visitation. When the world becomes more hostile toward Christianity, toward those who are trying to proclaim the gospel or follow the gospel, then Christians are going to be seen as the bad guys. They're going to be seen as those who don't fit in with with society. They're going to be looked at with suspicion. They're going to speak evil of you. They're going to slander you. That was going on in the first century. And as society becomes more godless and more corrupt, the same type of thing can happen here. People may look for reasons to accuse you. They may look for reasons to to condemn you for some wrongdoing, slandering you as evildoers. But what you are to do is keep your behavior excellent. Continue to engage in good deeds. So as they observe you, and they're trying to find something to pick out, something to accuse you of, but they see you continually, regularly, habitually doing good, eventually they may come around and come to the truth that they would glorify God themselves. That is the hope. But keep your behavior excellent. Because if we don't do that, if we decide that, well, that's not really all that important, they're going to speak evil about us anyway, and then we're going to, so, you know, what's really the point? Or you have some who think that, well, I'm a Christian, and so God's, going to save me. It doesn't really matter what I do or, or how I conduct myself. God's going to overlook anything I do. Paul over in 2 Corinthians chapter 6 talked about how important it was to make sure that he kept his behavior excellent, to use the language that Peter used in 1 Peter chapter 2. Why it was so important to do this. And it's about more than just we want to follow the Lord's commandment because he is Lord. We're doing his will. Going back to the last point, but also, how we interact with others is going to have an impact on whether or not they might ever be receptive to the gospel. What, whether they would ever be open to hearing the message of the gospel. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, Paul had talked about how the now is the day of salvation in verse 2, now is the acceptable time. He said in verse 3, in this idea of, you know, here's salvation. We want salvation to be received by others. We want others to be saved. He said in verse 3, giving no cause for offense in anything so that the ministry will not be discredited. If we, as we are trying to hold out the gospel to others, we're trying to lead others to the truth, we're trying to point them to the word of God, point them to Christ, but then the way that we live our lives we're living in a way that is offensive, that is, that is corrupt, that is sinful. It says, if we give any cause for offense in anything, if we live in a way that is, people can look at that, well, obviously that person is, you know, that person is doing something that's wrong, or that person is, obviously they're not you know, living what they're, what they're teaching. And that is a common criticism, sometimes fair, sometimes not, common criticism that people have of, of 
religious people that they are hypocrites. There are a lot of hypocrites. Not everyone who is religious is a hypocrite, but that is, it's common enough that people will, people look at that and use that to just dismiss everything about the church, everything about God, everything about the scriptures and what they teach. And well, because these people here are hypocrites. And again, sometimes that charge is fair, sometimes it's not fair. But we need to conduct ourselves in such a way that as we are trying to help people, we are trying to teach people and lead them to the truth and show them about Christ and do all those things. We need to make sure that we don't live our lives in such a way that people will just say, well, you know, how can you talk to me about that when you do such and such? Or you, the way that you live is no different from the way that everyone else lives. Why should, why should I follow what or, or listen to what you are telling me? to do. If we do not live in this way, where the way that we're supposed to, behaving properly towards those who are outside in the world, if we don't do that, then we give people occasion to reject or speak evil of God, about His church, about the word that He has given us, and we lose any hope of trying to persuade them of what is true and what is right. Behave properly toward outsiders. And then the last thing he says there in 1 Thessalonians 4, make it your ambition to not be in any need. Worldly ambition, a lot of times will seek for an abundance of wealth and success and influence. And when you have a certain degree of that, well, that's not enough. Then you need more and more and more. There's never, you never reach a point when you're motivated by this worldly-minded perspective, you never reach a point that it's enough. You always want more and more. Paul says here what our ambition is, is that we are striving to not be in any need. Now, we talked about already the importance of working to provide for ourselves, provide for our, for our households, 1 Timothy chapter 5 talks about that. We do need to work in order to do that. And then what he says here, behave properly toward outsiders to not be in any need. That does not mean, well, we figure out what is the bare minimum that that I or my household, what we need, and then I'm going to work and get that, and then that's all I'm going to do. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 28 tells us that there is a responsibility that we have to help others as well. Ephesians 4 28 says that let him who steals, steal no longer, but rather he must labor, performing with his own hands what is good, so that he will have something to share with the one who has need. We don't work just to barely scrape by. Sometimes we have to do that, and we don't have a choice about that, and we're, we might be doing the best we can, and that's all we can do. But if we are able to, again, still putting spiritual things first, but we're we are able to earn enough to provide for ourselves, provide for our family, and still have some left over where we can help others. Paul says this is what we need to do. We need to look for opportunities to help others. But the attitude toward that wealth and toward that success and whatever we accumulate is going to be different for the Christian than it is for one who is in the world. The one who is in the world is simply saying, well, I want to do, I want to get all this for myself. I want to earn more and more and more. And that's all they're focused on. But if you look at 1 Timothy chapter 6, 
Paul gave Timothy instructions that he was to give to those who were rich because as much as we we look at the warnings about not loving money and things like that and the passage that was read for us at the beginning about storing up treasures in heaven rather than treasures on earth there are times and there were there were examples in the first century but Paul we see that in Paul's instructions here that you might have Christians who are rich by the world's standards. And it doesn't necessarily mean that they've done anything wrong, but there are sometimes Christians who are rich by the world's standards. That's not the promise of the gospel. If you're faithful, then you're going to be rich. That's you know, There are false teachers, a lot of them, who teach that. That's not the promise of the gospel. But when you apply, apply biblical principles to your work and to your life and all that, sometimes that is going to result in, in someone becoming wealthy. However, Paul gave Timothy instructions for the rich how they were to conduct themselves. Verse 17 of 1 Timothy 6, Instruct those who are rich in this present world not to be conceited or to fix their hope on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. Instruct them to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, storing up for themselves a treasure of a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is life indeed. Worldly-minded people will say that we need more and more and more in order to satisfy our own desires, what we want. For Christians, what our ambition is, is to be, we want to work hard. We want to do all that we can to be able to provide for ourselves and for our family. But also recognize that if we do enjoy any degree of success or any degree of wealth or anything like that, Paul says, instruct them to be rich in good works. If we have wealth, if we have success, if we have that, that is that provides us with an opportunity to do good. It's not just so we can serve ourselves and, and just selfishly fulfill whatever we want of our desires. It gives us an opportunity to do good. However, it says this is your ambition. What we've talked about so far about how we can conduct ourselves with our attitude or the action, the work that we do, and our behavior and our obedience to the Lord, those are things that are within our control. This one here is not completely in our control. We can do everything that we need to do. We can work hard, be willing to work hard. We can be obedient to the Lord. We can do all of these things. And then through circumstances that are beyond our control, we can still find ourselves who are find ourselves in need. There are people who are in need that it's not because necessarily they are lazy or because they did something wrong. There are lots of cases of that, but that's not necessarily the case in every instance where someone is in poverty. You can have someone who is trying to do everything right and still finds themselves in need. So the ambition is to not be in need, but what if we are in need? What if we do find ourselves in that circumstance? Well, what Paul says in Philippians 4 is helpful here on this point. Where he said in Philippians 4 verse 11, Not that I speak from want, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. I know how to get along with humble means. I also know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry. Both of having abundance and suffering need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. We can endure whatever circumstance we find ourselves in 
if we follow Christ, if we are faithful to Him. I could do all things through Him who strengthens me. Even enduring times of poverty and times where we are suffering need. So Paul says your ambition is to not be in any need. So then you may be able to be in a position to help others as well. But if we do find ourselves in that situation, this is the attitude that we need to have. Learn contentment in whatever circumstance we find ourselves in. So there is nothing wrong with someone being successful or prosperous necessarily. But as Christians, we need to make sure that our ambition, first and foremost, is directed toward these things. We are not to neglect spiritual things so that we can advance in our career or earn more money or do whatever, you know, whatever it is that we are trying to gain or we're trying to work for. We don't put spiritual things on hold or neglect them because we're working on that. Spiritual things have to come first. If success comes, that's fine. But putting spiritual things first, making our ambition to do what Paul says here, that needs to be the first priority beyond anything that we do in this life. So we need to make sure that our priorities in or are in order so that our ambition is focused on being who God wants us to be Amen. and serving Him and pleasing Him. And then whatever happens from that, Philippians 4, the verses that we read, be content in whatever circumstance we find ourselves in. Whether we have an abundance or whether we suffer need, we are content because we're focused on doing what God wants us to do and being who God wants us to be. So we close the lesson this morning. We want to extend the Lord's invitation for any who need to respond to it. If you are here this morning and are not yet a Christian, if you've not yet obeyed the gospel, but you believe that Jesus is the Christ and you are willing to repent and turn from your sin, willing to confess your faith in Christ, you can be baptized into Christ to have your sins washed away. We can help you do that today. And if you are ready to do that, you just need to let that be known to us. Or if you have done that, become a Christian, but have fallen away and gone back into the world, or maybe not completely fallen away, but you have allowed some sin back into your life and you need to make correction, then do that. Repent of that, pray to God and ask Him for forgiveness. And if we can help you in any way, we'd be more than happy to do that. But whatever your need is, we invite you to come forward as we stand and sing.